When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Election College, Episode 34. In this episode, Rutherford B. Hayes keeps his promise and Garfield comes onto the scene. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Well, Jason, we left a big cliffhanger at the end of last episode. I know everybody has just been waiting with bated breath to find out if Rutherford B. Hayes kept his promise or not. Yeah, and I've just been so antsy about it, so... <laughs> Hey, you know what? What's that? Hayes, he was a man of his word. He was a man of his word. And you can imagine what that would have been like being president when here you basically lost. Yeah. <laughs> you lost, but you won. And, and it does take a man of integrity, I, I, I believe to say, okay, I'm only going to be in there one term. That's it. And, he kept his promise. So yeah, and it seems like I mean, uh, you know, it seems like he did most of what he said he wanted to do, and and what he agreed to do as well with the uh, the whole compromise. I know there were like four points to it. Two of them definitely happened. The other two, um, there are bits and pieces where you could say that it happened, and parts where you could say they didn't. But all in all, he he kind of kept his ends of bargains um, that got him into the the position. Yeah, and. There were a lot of things, you know, with that whole compromise, the, what we know now as the compromise of 1877, you know, with one of the big things was the issue of reconstruction in the South. And that's pretty much over by the end of his administration. And, um, yeah, you've got years of recovery still in store for the South, but um, he did what he could. Yeah. And so now we've got, um, we, we've got Rutherford B. Hayes, a, a man probably of integrity, but not very well looked at um, in history. I I think in the, when they categorize presidents throughout history, he's not on the top of the list, yeah, which that, is interesting. Yeah. I mean, really aside from Lincoln and if, Grant hadn't been a civil war hero. None of them, none of them yeah. are on the high end of, of history. And right. And interestingly enough, surrounding all of uh, what's going on in Washington, you've got a lot of cultural things going on in this era because you've got heavy industrialization happening. Um, you've, you've got the rich becoming very wealthy You've got the poor that are 
extremely poor. Um, you've got, um, I was going to say pop heroes, but you've got people like Mark Twain. Right. Right. And, um, Harriet Beecher Stowe and other people who are in, later in years, but they're established, uh, almost like celebrities. You've got all of these road shows happening around the, around the country. And it, it's really the foundation of media as we know it. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got Barnum and PT Barnum and others who are, um, either on the scene or soon emerging. It's really a unique time in our history and Washington is increasingly known for corruption. <laughs> Imagine that. And I mean, at least it's gotten better, right? <laughs> so, you know, there's always that. But w- one of the big things that Hayes had his hands in uh, towards the end of his presidency, I, I guess really all throughout his presidency, but kind of came to a-, a bigger head was currency. I mean, uh, Think about the the situation we're looking at. We're still coming out of the Civil War. I know it's been almost 15 years by this point, but you still got people in the South who, even though it was short-lived, um, have their currency and they still exchange it. And there's some currency that was suspended during that time. Um, we get into the greenbacks and um, a whole departure almost from the usage of silver and gold as a stand-in essentially, or, or I guess we should say dollar bills as a, as a stand-in for silver and gold. And um, Hayes is part of this movement to bring that back, to bring the old, um, old system back into place. Yeah. And you've got concerns with uh, inflation because you can imagine what that would be like. Um it, it it's kind of interesting to me that nowadays we don't even think about how our money is backed up. Oh, I do. I know it's <laughs> oh, <do> not. <laughs> it's like, hmm, let's uh, let's just print some more. Well, it's it amazing, matter. right? It's amazing how much I care about something that matters not at all, except because we say it does. Yeah, and. You know, you, you got people like Hayes who were, who were like, don't inflate the currency. It's, it's dishonest. Sure. And Congress is like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I don't we think got so. That. Yeah. And, and so having, having the greenback, um, that, that flat currency, it, it's a, a bit of a novel thing. For our country, it, it nothing existed like that before the Civil War. So right. that's something I didn't even realize that um, the the way money was exchanged and, and goods and so on was just so vastly different in that era. And I don't know. Do we credit do we credit industrialization with that? Or do we do we credit that economies were becoming more global? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, uh, speaking of global, um, during Hayes' administration, we've also got the this influx of – well, I mean, it happens a little bit before that too. But we've got an influx of immigrants coming in and particularly 
the Chinese. The Chinese are coming in droves. Uh, they're coming um, at such a force that we see people. And I mean, I think most of them coming through because they're allowed, it's legally allowed. They're coming in the right way right. and everything, but they're coming in and jobs are disappearing. So the Chinese are getting blamed for uh, getting rid of the American working man's wages. The, um, the, the Chinese people are taking up residences and neighborhoods and people don't like anybody different than them, of course. Yeah. You've actually got, um, you've got the federal government stepping in and saying, Hey, Chinese people, you cannot come into our country anymore. Wow. So th- th- this is this is jumping ahead just a bit, but you have um, President Arthur in 1882 signing into law the Chinese Exclusion Act, which made all kinds of restrictions on the free immigration of Chinese laborers coming into our country. Yeah. So, um, needless to say, we're we're not. I don't know. We don't have open borders at this time, I suppose you could say. Uh, and not only do we not have open borders, but, um, Hayes is also involved in, well, let's call it moving around of, cause that's the political yeah. correct term, uh, moving around of Native Americans. Yeah. So he's uh, like, some, some of these tribes have, land and then he gives it to other people but then in, in to to rectify that he gives them new land which he has to take away from other tribes and then that tribe gets to go somewhere else where there's no land so um he he tried to i think he tried to do right by them but in doing so really screwed a lot of things up with the native americans yeah it was just i Big, huge mess for everybody. And who loses? The Native Americans, of course. Always. That's pretty much the theme of the show. So I guess we should probably talk about, we've been talking about all around it, but we should probably talk about the election of 1880. I mean, seems, seems appropriate. That, that's what we're here for, right? I'm so, here for the ice cream. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> 1880. <laughs> Rutherford B. Hayes says, I'm a one-termer. He keeps his word. What are the Republicans to do? Well, they, they split. <laughs> well, I guess they don't, they don't technically split like we've seen them do in the past, but they're certainly not a cohesive unit. But, um, they meet in Chicago on June 2nd, uh, and they, they see who all is going for the Republican nomination. We've got, um, Ulysses S. Grant. Who he sounds familiar. I think he's a, a former president. Yeah, mm-hmm. he decides maybe I'll run again. Uh, Senator James Blaine. Hey, and I the, him. Uh huh. Uh huh. He's familiar as well. And the Secretary Treasury. Um, that's not what I meant to say. I meant to say the Treasury Secretary, John Sherman. <laughs> yeah, uh, kind of familiar with him. Yeah, he's less of a well-known name, but certainly. Um, his brother, William Sherman, 
um, who was a Civil War general. We've all we've all heard of Sherman's March, and that's that's right. who he was. Uh-huh. Yeah. So the first ballot comes around, and U.S. Grant and Blaine, um, they're running neck and neck. Uh, Grant actually had more votes. He had 304 and Blaine had, uh, 285 and Sherman is running in third place with 93 votes. So really nobody is saying, yes, I have an overwhelming majority. So <laughs> get this, Ben, after 35 ballots. <laughs> And these aren't just like, okay, no, not conclusive. Let's do it again. <laughs> I mean, they had to roll call every single person who was voting and they had to, um, they had to do this stretched over days. It wasn't just like all at once or they could enter it in on their Palm Pilots or something. Right. Uh, yeah. So there's a guy who comes out of Ohio named James Garfield and he, Rocks the vote. Can I say rocks the vote? Do I have I to think pay anyone for that? I, I think that's totally legit. You can say that. Okay. So he totally rocks the vote. He gets 399 votes. Blaine, Sherman, Grant, they're like, uh, okay, whatever. <laughs> Garfield, you're our Whoops. Man. Dark horse coming along. Uh, yeah. And so J- James Garfield gets the nomination. After the 35 votes. And remember, I, I think I kind of alluded to this on the last episode, but this is to date still the longest ever Republican national convention. Um, they just took forever to, to make up their mind about anything. I mean, the convention was in Chicago. It's a nice town. That's true. Maybe they were out seeing that, uh, that bean. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're doing that, probably taking in a Cubs game. I think the Cubs were about to be established around that era. And yeah, sure. Maybe. Why not? <laughs> well, maybe so, you think maybe we should talk about James Garfield uh, a minute and just see, see maybe what he's all about. I, I, I think that would be a good idea. So we mentioned that he was from Ohio. Right. And he started out life not very well off. Um, seems like a lot of the presidents around this time period were not very well off, uh, weren't necessarily anybody important. And he came from a family who lived in a log cabin. That sounds familiar, right? It sounds very familiar that a Republican would be born in a log cabin. I, I think so. So yeah, he's actually born in, I think that up in the Northeastern part of Ohio, which was actually, um, some of you geography buffs will, will know this, that the, um, that part of Ohio was called, uh, Western Reserve, which was actually part of like, I think that was Connecticut's claim. I could be corrected on that, but Connecticut's claim, uh, out west. And so his ancestry is actually from New England and, um, I believe his, Father passed away very yeah, early young. in his life. Yeah. And so he was raised um, pretty much by his mom. Yeah. And it, it opened him up to a lot of insults and injury from his, um, his friends, or I guess not really friends, but schoolmates. Uh, he 
went through a lot of rejection, wasn't real uh, good with rejection, I guess you could say. He ended up leaving home pretty early, went to work on some boats. Uh, he ended up going back home quickly because he was not feeling terribly well, probably a little bit of homesickness mixed with some mm-hmm. actual um, some actual ailments he had, I would imagine. And he just pretty much hated how he was born and, and raised uh, and, and the way he had lived up to that point. Um, he was not a huge fan of it and decided he was going to make things different for himself. Yeah, he actually said uh, later in his life, he said, uh, quote, I lament that I was born to poverty and in this chaos of childhood, 17 years passed before I caught any inspiration. A precious 17 years when a boy with a father and some wealth might have become fixed in manly ways. So, um, yeah, he got off to kind of a bad start. Yep. He, uh, he did a lot of different things. He was, um, he preached for a while. He, um, took some odd jobs around different parts of the city, but then eventually he, uh, joined up with the Union Army whenever the Civil War broke out, became a brigadier general during the Civil War. Um, he decided that, uh, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to be an army man. Not like the little green guys. Was it different? <laughs> I I didn't even make the connection. I'm I'm seeing a I'm seeing a theme not with the little green guys, Ben, but I'm seeing uh-huh. a theme here with Republicans. Yeah, like you're probably from Ohio. You're probably from Ohio. Yeah. Uh, you probably became a brigadier general in the yep. Civil War, <laughs> and yeah, you probably benefited greatly from being on the winning side of the war. So during the civil war, he actually um, was approached um, by friends who were like, Hey, James, you need to run for Congress. So right. in, yeah. So he gets elected to Congress in what? 1860. Two, something like that. Yeah, 1862. He was elected Somewhere, in the Congress. Yep. Yeah. So in the thick of the, in the thick of the war, he's elected to Congress. And it's kind of interesting because here you got this Republican guy during this era. He wasn't really thinking that Lincoln was the bomb diggity. No, no, not at all. He wasn't a huge fan. Um, he, you remember when we talked about Salmon Chase previously? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, he and Garfield actually became friends. They hooked up. Um, they were both the same party. They agreed on a lot of things philosophically and they became friends for a while there. Yeah. So, I mean, at, you know, things happen and, and we all grow as humans. I like to think that we all grow and mature and treat our people who with whom we are opposed um, more graciously. But he actually said about Lincoln later on that Lincoln was one of the few great rulers whose wisdom actually increased with his power. So that was, that was a pretty high compliment. So yeah, I would uh, say so. He, he reconciled kind of a posthumous. Hey, I said posthumous. Um <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the first big word I've ever used. Yeah, from this podcast. But anyway, um, later on in life, he he really said that you know, yeah, Lincoln. Uh, the power didn't go to his head. He actually became wiser and wiser as he aged. Not that bad of a guy, I guess. Um, after the war, Garfield becomes a pretty big proponent of black suffrage. But at the same time, he also admits um, or admitted to uh, many people that the idea that African-Americans could be equal uh, at least on a political level, probably on every level with white people gave him a strong, this is a quote, a strong feeling of repugnance. And um, so he wanted them to have equal footing, but it gave him a, a, a queasy feeling and it seemed wrong. And it's kind of like, I don't know. I've, there's been things in my life. I've been like convinced this is a wrong thing, or this is the, this is the right opinion. And then I've changed my mind about it or I've been convinced one way or another. And then I start doing that thing or, or not doing that thing. And it just feels wrong and gross, even though I know it's the right way to go. And I can imagine like we're, we're hard on a lot of the people who, um, during that day and age had slaves, whether they treated them well or not. And we don't really give them a lot of credit for the ones who released them like Grant. Um, but imagine, I mean, it's not a, it is a lot different, but it's it's kind of the same philosophy of you do one thing one way your whole life and then it changes and you know it's the right change, but it's hard to swallow still. And that's kind of how he felt about about black people, African-Americans being able to be on equal footing. Yeah. And I think if you look underneath the surface, you're going to find a lot in the Republican Party who who held similar beliefs. Right. Hey, you want to talk about the Democrats? Yeah, I guess it's about time to talk about them. They kind of take a <laughs> they kind of take sidecar right now during this time. I don't know. Yeah, so they hold their convention in Cincinnati and uh it didn't last quite as long as the Republicans. <laughs> uh but they um had several men who were uh candidates for the nomination. And really the, the leading candidates were, um, and this is going to be a familiar name, uh, Major General Winfield Scott Hancock, uh, who was from Pennsylvania. And then, um, Senator, uh, Thomas, um, Bayard, which we've heard his name before, um, from Delaware. Now, Tilden, remember him? I do remember him. The man who was elected president, but didn't, <laughs> um, <laughs> He wasn't a candidate, but he was still pretty influential uh, when it came time for the convention to roll around. And um, he, as you can imagine, was probably cynical um, about candidating and getting into the whole political thing. He actually, it's kind of, kind of sad. He kind of died alone. Um, but anyway, um, he was still considered the standard bearer for the Democrats. Right. Yeah. And, and he was really kind of, some people wanted him to run thinking they knew that he could win or they thought he could win. Um, and others just didn't, but Tilden was kind of like, eh, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure if I want to participate in another campaign. And so the support he could have had, 
if he had chosen to to run, ended up going to other people, uh, namely Hancock and Baird. Right. And it only took two ballots to um, uh, occur. I, I don't know exactly how you say that. I'll, we'll just say occur. <laughs> so uh, by the by, by the time the second uh, ballot comes around, uh, it's pretty conclusive. So that Winfield Scott Hancock became the candidate. You know, Jason, we didn't really talk about many of the other. Um, what do I want to say? Parties that happened or that existed during the last episode, but we should probably mention a few of them here. We have the Greenback Party. Uh, which, um, they were totally in response to the depression that followed the civil war, uh, everything that happened after the civil war. And of course, this has to do with greenbacks and the gold standard and everything. Um, so they're, they're kind of an influential party at that time, but once again, they don't gain a lot of traction. Um, we've got the prohibition party, which they pretty much have one thing in their mind, the prohibition of alcohol, uh, which they, end up down the road getting, by the way. Uh, we'll get to that someday down the road. Mm-hmm. And it's they also kind of um, uh, have this anti-Masonic party comes back. Um, they're just basically opposed to one thing as well, Freemasonry and uh, secret societies. So, yeah, there's a few other parties still lingering out there. We don't want anybody to think that we're 100% um, Republican-Democrat, but Still, by and large, those are going to be your main candidates until present day. Yeah, and it might make for a good Nicolas Cage movie or something like that to talk about <laughs> some of those other political parties. But Yeah, why not? Sure. <laughs> so uh, it's time to talk about the election. What do you think? I, I think I'm okay with that, yeah. Okay, so Garfield versus Hancock. Who you got? Um. I feel like if I were to put money on somebody, it would definitely be Garfield because um, I, I know I know what happens. That, that, yeah, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. yeah. Well. So really, voter turnout was it was pretty pretty wide um, because many were feeling that okay, are we going to just continue to go with the Republicans? <laughs> Especially yeah. after the last election that was so close and right, right. Um, that was actually lost by the winner and won by the loser. So you can imagine that a lot of people wanted to participate in this and the popular vote was actually only separated by fewer than 2000 votes. Yeah. The official numbers bring the percentage to 0.02%. And I mean, there are some historians who disagree with those numbers because not everything was conclusive and exact, but I mean, come on, if we're dealing with something as small as 0.02%, you can pretty much say it was a really, really, really close <laughs> popular vote. Right. And so you had um, really Hancock and the Democrats sweeping the South and what ends up happening from really this election forward. Now we've got the end of reconstruction and really with the end of reconstruction, you have Republican influence in the South gone. It's going to be a long time before you really hear of anything happening for the Republicans South of the Mason Dixon line. Yeah. So 
so yeah, Hancock sweeps the South and Garfield takes all of the really populous states in the North. So even though that popular vote was so close, the population was in the North and Garfield won 214 electoral votes to 155. So, uh, yeah, it was Pretty big pretty, win for him. Pretty decisive, yeah. I mean, not as much of a landslide as we've seen in the past, but certainly, uh, certainly a good one. Uh, once again, the, um, the campaigning that was done throughout the whole thing was just not pretty. Uh, we're still looking at the whole, um, hey, you're from the South or you're a Democrat, therefore you caused all these deaths and all this stuff. Can you, I'm just, it just hits me every time I think about politics happening still during the Civil War that You've got these guys who are sitting in rooms arguing with each other over petty things while millions of their countrymen are just like down the road shooting at each other. It's just right. insane. It's kind of insane to me. Right. And, and to think with, especially, you know, as we're recording this, it's very early in the primary season for the 2016 election. Everybody's talking about all of this infighting. Um, inside parties and then how different the parties are from each other and so on. We're seeing all kinds of crazy partisanship in 1880. We're seeing, we're seeing a uh, lots of division inside both of the parties. And, and I would venture to say that mm, the political scene right now isn't nearly as interesting as it no. was in 1880. No, I mean, nobody's dueling each other. Nobody's calling each other out over the dissolution of a country. Um, <laughs> nobody's insulting each other's. Well, I can't say nobody's insulting each other's wives, but, uh, back in the day, they just straight out called, called people out. Nobody's saying, Hey, your dad killed himself because he was mentally disturbed and you're going to do the same thing. I mean, it was rough back in the day. Not that it's terribly civil now, but. It wasn't good. Yeah. And it's about to get a lot more interesting still. So I'm excited about our next episode. Yeah. And I have high hopes for Garfield. I think he'll serve out a good four, maybe even eight years coming up here. Why not? Yeah. It hasn't been done for a while. (laughs) Hey, Ben. Yeah. Do you ever shop online? I shop online like all the time. And do you ever use a small website called Amazon? I think I've heard of it before. Yeah, Mm Amazon.com. Yeah. So get this. Amazon, they are our friends. And at the time of this podcast being released, we're entering into the holiday season. And what better way to support one of your favorite podcasts by visiting electioncollege.com slash Amazon, you're going to end up on Amazon's website, but it's going to help us out a lot. Yep. You pay the same thing. We make money off of you, off of it. So, you know, go for it. Yeah. We promise that you will live in a special place in our heart if you do that. (laughs) Electioncollege.com slash Amazon. And while you're there at Amazon, go ahead and check us out on Facebook. 
Check us out on Twitter, on Instagram. We're at Election College on all of those platforms. And uh, while you're typing in Election College, why don't you go over to iTunes? Yeah, and it'll take you just a few seconds, but a star rating would help us out a lot. And your review would not only help us, but it would also help establish you as a rock star among all of your family and friends because you are giving Election College a higher profile in iTunes. That's right. More awesome people like you will hear about the podcast because you reviewed it. You'll basically be famous, too, because your name will be on, like, on iTunes and stuff. So, yeah, um, that's great. Yeah. Well, yeah. So leave us a review. Shop on Amazon using our link and check us out online. Say hey. And don't forget to subscribe. Ben? Yes, sir. I think that's all we got. All right. I guess we will see everybody in another couple years. Or maybe, maybe not quite that long. The foreshadowing is killing me. It's deep. I know it's deep. <laughs> <laughs> see you next we'll time. We'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.